welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome to the second episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast Symposium on Local Journalism, Business, and Society. This episode will focus on a recently posted study, Our Newspaper Deserts and Oasis for Leniency, the Effect of Information Dissemination on Regulator Activity. This paper was written by Sinia Leonelli, a fourth-year accounting PhD student at the University of Chicago. I'll add a link to the paper in the show notes for the episode. We're also joined by commentators Anish Rajanandan, an assistant professor of accounting at the London School of Economics, and John Howard the director of the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, and the former chief of the Division of Occupational Safety and Health in the California Department of Industrial Relations. Sinya, John, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. And Anish, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be back. Thank you very much for having me. Much like the last episode, I'd like to start, Sinya, with just an interview, a discussion with you about this paper, about the research that you've done. And then I look forward to hearing from Anish and John on the academic and policy fronts and, and their reactions to your paper. Just to start off, I wonder if you could introduce some of the research questions that motivated this study. What prompted you to look at the effect of newspaper closures on corporate misconduct and enforcement? And why the focus in this paper on workplace health and safety as opposed to other areas of corporate conduct? Let me start with my research question. In this paper, I'm trying to understand the relationship between information dissemination and enforcement. And specifically, I'm using newspaper closures as an exogenous change in information dissemination, and I estimate the effect of inspections by regulators. Just to go over my results really quickly, I find that a newspaper closure leads to a 6% decrease in inspection, and I show that this decrease is due to the regulators' considerations of deterrence. What motivated me is that I am generally broadly interested in studying misconduct and the role of regulators, as well as corporate social responsibility more generally. Started reading a lot of academic literature and news articles on these topics. And at the same time, I was watching a show that showed the dramatic change in the media landscape and how important local newspapers are. And that made me think a little bit more broadly about the interaction between information dissemination and regulators. And then I actually came across a paper by Matt Johnson, which was published in the American Economic Review, that shows how information dissemination about regulator activity deters firms from future misconduct. And I realized that most papers have focused on the relationship between information dissemination and future firm behavior. But the other side of the coin that has not received as much attention is that information dissemination can directly impact the effectiveness of enforcement. So when there is more news coverage about local enforcement, it is more likely that there's deterrence of future misconduct because firms are more likely to revise their beliefs about the cost of misconduct. The problem here is that the local newspaper landscape is changing drastically. Since its peak in 2004, the U.S. has actually lost over 2,000 local newspapers and the pandemic has only exacerbated the decrease in those newspapers. Given that information dissemination is so important for deterrence and the effectiveness of regulator activity, I think it's really important to improve our understanding about how the changing newspaper landscape is impacting enforcement. 
And to your last point about why I am focusing on workplace health and safety, with my accounting background, I actually started out being more generally interested in how information dissemination impacts regulator activity. And the more traditionally studied misconduct in the accounting literature is actually securities or tax fraud. In addition to some data availability issues here, the problem is that activity from a regulator like the SEC or IRS is more likely to be covered in national news outlets, so there's much less variation in information dissemination. For example, if a national news outlet closes down, there are generally other national news outlets that can still distribute information about regulator activity. So it's unclear whether that would significantly change information dissemination. And also, a change in national news outlets would impact all firms and regulators at the same time, making it very difficult to estimate the effect of information dissemination by big news outlets on regulator activity. So this is where misconduct related to workplace safety and health provides a really nice setting for the identification of the effect because most of the enforcement that OSHA engages in is not covered by national news outlets, but rather by small local newspapers. Workplace safety and health is a topic that applies to all firms to some extent, even before the pandemic. And misconduct in this area can have very serious consequences for employees, including injuries or even death. And workplace incidents happen quite frequently, and considering all injuries and death at the workplace, it's been previously estimated that the total yearly cost of that is over $250 billion. And this does not even include any fines assessed to the firms by OSHA, which is the federal regulator that enforces workplace safety and health standards in the U.S. So misconduct related to workplace safety and health is a pretty big economic issue that can be extremely costly for firms and society. You note that workplace health and safety is a concern of every employer, and it's a concern of every American who either works or, or knows somebody who does. So that's pretty much everybody. And I think we might have some personal sense of what workplace safety and health might mean. We might have some sense, as you mentioned, that there are regulations in place designed to protect worker safety and health. But I wonder if before we jump into some of the meat and bones of your paper, if we could maybe level set a little bit about what the workplace safety enforcement landscape looks like. Just at a broad level, how are workplace safety laws enforced in this country? Who are the enforcers? Are they all federal? Are some of them state? Are some of them local? How do they do their jobs? And what sorts of constraints do these enforcers operate under? OSHA inspectors, who are officially called compliance safety and health officers, can conduct inspections for workplace health and safety for multiple reasons at the firm. There are inspections that can be thought of as generally random after accounting for the general hazard intensity of workplaces. Every OSHA area office is sent a list of random establishments in their jurisdiction that are supposed to be inspected in a given time period. And the area office will then try to inspect as many of those establishments on the list as possible, but the order in which they do so is up to the local inspectors. So that means the inspectors can prioritize establishments on the list based on their information sets. And whether an establishment on the list will actually be inspected is at least partly determined by the decisions that the local OSHA inspector makes, because there are usually too many establishments on the list and the inspectors are not able to inspect all of them. And for those random inspections, the way it basically works is that an inspector shows up at the establishments, usually unannounced, and they will physically inspect the workplace 
for any violations of safety and health standards. And if there are any violations found, those are written up. And if applicable, the workplace gets fined. There are two more broad categories of inspections. The second category can be classified as discretionary inspections, such as a follow-up, where they check whether improvements were made after they already found a violation. And the last category are inspections that are triggered by an event. For example, if OSHA gets a complaint about misconduct or there's an accident, an injury, or a fatality is reported. The general inspection process for those types of inspections, once the inspector arrives, is largely the same as for other inspections, but there might be some variation in the scope of the inspection. As you have already mentioned, yes, there are differences in the regulator by state in terms of whether it is covered by federal or state OSHA. The way it works is that some states have decided to implement state plans. So that means instead of federal OSHA regulating in that state, the state has their own state-run OSHA program, but this program has to be up to the standards of federal OSHA. So they are generally pretty comparable, or the state plans are even more strict than federal OSHA. With respect to the constraints that they operate under, OSHA is by far not the only regulator this applies to. But there has been a lot of discussion on OSHA being underfunded and understaffed and that this decreases the effectiveness of their enforcement. Currently, OSHA is responsible for over 8 million work sites with about 130 million workers. But overall in the U.S., they have less than 2,000 inspectors, and that includes both the state and the federal inspectors. And OSHA inspects less than 1% of the work sites that they're responsible for every year. And with these constraints, OSHA needs all the help they can get to curb misconduct, including information dissemination. Thank you for that level setting on one side of the workplace safety equation, which is the enforcement side. I'd like to delve a little bit into the conceptual framework that you offer in your paper and then maybe talk about the empirical side. You talk in your paper about two channels for how local newspaper coverage might affect regulator and firm behavior, so the two sides of the equation that I just mentioned. Can you talk a little bit about how that coverage might serve as a mechanism on regulator or firm behavior? You talk about a direct channel and an indirect channel. Could you describe what those are and how they might interact with each other and maybe which might dominate or not dominate over the other? For my framework, I just want to say ahead of time that it's important to note that I'm assuming that the regulator cares about enforcing compliance to some extent. So this does not mean that I'm assuming that the regulator's goal is full compliance or that it's the regulator's only objective, but the regulator needs to have some interest in decreasing misconduct. And the basic idea in the framework is that when a newspaper closes, deterrence effects decrease. And that can be due to multiple reasons. For example, there's less information dissemination about local regulator activity, which could lead managers to revise their beliefs about regulators' activity. Because there's less information on it, managers might believe there's less enforcement, which decreases their expected costs of misconduct. Also, less information dissemination means that there's less coverage about firms that are found to be in violation of standards which decreases the reputational concerns firms have. Let's talk about the channels a little bit. I want to start with the indirect one. From prior literature, we know that deterrence effects impact the compliance of firms. So when deterrence decreases, 
for example, because the local newspaper closes, firms increase the amount of misconduct they engage in. When a regulator now inspects establishments in the area where misconduct increased, the regulator is more likely to find violations and improve workplace safety. Holding everything else constant, the marginal benefit of a random inspection is higher because the regulator is more likely to find misconduct. If we just think about this channel, it could be that regulators want to increase inspections after a newspaper closure. In this case, the regulator is directly reacting to the actions that firms take. But this is only indirectly related to deterrence, which is why I am calling it the indirect channel in this paper. The other channel is the direct channel. And the consideration here, which has received less attention in the literature, is that an area with less newspaper coverage, in that area, inspections are less effective because of lower deterrence. So if a regulator inspects an establishment in an area without newspaper coverage, it is unlikely that information about the regulator activity will be disseminated. While a regulator activity might lead to future deterrence of misconduct at the firm that was inspected, the lack of information dissemination means that other local firms are unaware of the inspection and there's no widespread deterrence of misconduct for other local firms. Also, the deterrence effects for the inspected firm is lower because the missing information dissemination mutes the possible reputational repercussions for the firm. So without information dissemination, the regulator's inspection is less effective in reducing future misconduct. Again, holding everything else constant, the marginal benefit of inspections in areas with less information dissemination coverage is lower because they reduce future misconduct less. In this case, regulators are reacting directly to the amount of newspaper coverage and the activity of the regulator is directly related to the amount of deterrence, which is why I call this the direct channel. To the interaction of these, it's possible that both of these channels can be present at the same time. And it's unclear which one dominates. So empirically, I'm actually estimating a net effect of newspaper closures on regulator activity. And because the indirect channel has already been partly established, I'm actually more interested in this paper in trying to establish whether regulators' activity is directly impacted by the amount of information dissemination and whether they take the amount of deterrence into account when making their decision to inspect which means that I'm mostly interested in showing that the direct channel exists. That's a really helpful framework for thinking about these issues and to delve a little bit into what you found on direct channel effects. Could you talk about your identification strategy, the study design that you pursued in this study? What sort of data did you use? How did you collect it? How was it designed to be able to tackle that question? I was actually able to acquire newspaper closure data based on information from editor and publisher. And this data was very generously shared with me by Matt Gansko and Dermot Murphy. And I then supplemented this data with information from the U.S. News Desert Project. And using all of this data, I identified county years with a net decrease in the number of daily newspapers. To measure regulator activity, I used inspection data from OSHA. And I aggregate this data to the industry county year level, so every inspection observation 
is a count of the number of inspections in a given year for an industry in a county. So the biggest concern for the identification of the effect is that economic forces are simultaneously leading to the newspaper closure and the decrease in inspections. For example, a decrease in economic activity could lead to both. To alleviate this concern, I am match up counties with newspaper closures to a bordering county without a newspaper closure based on the number of establishments in the two counties. Now, to estimate the effect of the newspaper closure inspections, I implement a difference in differences design where I compare the change in inspections in an industry in a county with a newspaper closure before and after the closure event to the change in inspections in the same industry in the matched bordering county over the same time period, which in theory should have the same trends and the same activity if there was no newspaper closure. And I find that compared to the matched county, without the newspaper closure, the inspections in the county with newspaper closures decrease on average by 6% after the event. With that key takeaway, that 6% finding, could you maybe talk about that or situate that in its broader social implications for employers, for workers, for regulators? What might this imply about the role of of newspapers uh, and the effects of newspaper closures? I think that the most important message from my study is that information dissemination and deterrent crucial for enforcement. And that regulators do, in fact, take this into account when making their enforcement decisions. I also think that my study reinforces the importance of local newspapers for enforcement. We already knew that regulators are resource constrained and only conduct enforcement actions at very few establishments, which means that the deterrence stemming from a possible inspection is pretty low. With the continuing decrease of the number of local newspapers, which has been exacerbated by the pandemic, the amount of deterrence stemming from information dissemination is decreasing as well, which decreases the effectiveness of regulator activity even further. We are also running the risk of creating enforcement deserts if regulators decrease their inspections in areas with newspaper closures. So if regulators want to counteract this, They need to find a way to increase deterrence in this changing news landscape. For example, regulators might want to find a way to increase the information dissemination about their local activity when the local media coverage is sparse to preserve the effectiveness of their inspection. Sinya, thank you for this introduction to your paper, this presentation of your paper. I want to come back to you toward the end with any closing thoughts or open questions you have, but I'm really excited now to turn the conversation over to your co-panelists for their academic and policy commentary. Anish has written and and studied in in this area, and John has a wealth of experience in the policy and enforcement side. So we might start with maybe some commentary from Anish. Thoughts, Anish, on this paper or some of the broader questions that Sinya opens? 
I guess I have a number of thoughts, some which some of which are more technical, some of which are more conceptual, some of which I think would help maybe help you, Senia, sell the big picture a little bit uh, more convincingly. I'll try to go light on the technical stuff. I can always we can always take some of that offline. Broadly speaking, I think there are some. I'll just be brief. Broadly speaking, I think you could probably do more to rule out the idea that regulators are shifting their behavior because of career concerns. I think this is one thing Senia alluded to briefly, and she touches on in the paper. And to her credit, does take a stab at. I just think more could be done in the sense that one reason you could see shifts in enforcement is, as Senia says, regulators trying to sort of re-optimize. Given that you're resource constrained, you know how far an inspection will go, right? Where, in which counties or in which location, a newspaper can amplify the inspection deterrence effects and in which places you don't have these deterrence effects. Now, one alternative explanation that Senia alludes to in the paper, and maybe a little bit just now, is the possibility that regulators are also trying to go into places where and make sure that they're conducting inspections in places where the local newspaper isn't going to run a sting about what happened at the local plant, why wasn't OSHA there. I agree with the broader point that maybe local newspapers aren't quite as critical as, for example, the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times might be of OSHA failings when they occur. But I think this is something you could maybe do more to rule out commits. We can talk offline about that. I don't want to get too into the nitty gritty. One thing that I think would also be, be useful to see is, I think this is actually a really cool idea. And I think this, uh, Senia referred to this Matt Johnson paper on showing that when OSHA started publicizing its violations through these press releases, it gave local newspapers this source material that they needed to amplify this. And it actually had a big difference on the violation rates of local facilities. So the opposite side of the coin is what happens if OSHA starts putting out press releases, but there's just no one there to take those and do anything. So I think conceptually, this is an important thing. Now, one thing that I also wanted to suggest, which is not really statistical, not really conceptual, but one thing that I always like to do and that I'm increasingly starting to do in my own work on the subject, I found that OSHA inspectors and OSHA, if you just ring up the local OSHA office, they tend to be pretty happy to talk to you about their job. And of course, they're, they're not going to give you confidential information about any specific inspection. But I found when you ask someone, what do you do? They're often quite happy to answer. So one thing that I think could be, uh, and in, in some of my own work, I've actually, I have a paper about OSHA that I think was alluded to. And one thing that I, Tom, my co-author and I found extremely helpful in that setting was we just called up a bunch of OSHA offices and started asking about, hey, how do you share records with each other? What gets shared? What doesn't get shared? What do you like about your job? What do you not like about your job? And we actually got a wealth of information that way that completely reshaped our paper. And so one thing that you could maybe do is you could call up some of these offices and just ask, how do you use information? Do you know where there's a local newspaper? Do you think these newspapers are useful? Do you read them yourselves to look for leads? Do you ever get whistleblower tips from the newspapers? Do you think that these newspapers have a kind of help you do your job? Basically, do you see these newspapers as complementary to what you do or substitutes because one thing that you could also imagine happening and i don't i don't think your results necessarily support it is that you can imagine regulators just moving along with newspapers just because when newspaper closures might happen in places where there's also a decline in local economic activity and i know you have some econometric techniques to try to rule out that explanation but i think you could also just it'd be helpful to me if you could triangulate that conception but i don't want to take up too much time i'm actually super interested in hearing from john as well and i'm happy to have a bit of a back and forth on that, I think it's an interesting paper. I think there's a lot you can do with it. I think it's a super promising kind of start. And I'm happy to take more online, offline, and to see where this goes. And so to, just to summarize, I don't have too many quibbles with methods. I think it's well executed, solidly run. I just think you could. my biggest suggestion would be to bring in this kind of real-world experience. If you have time to go get IRB approval and formalize this, that's great. If not, just have some chats. 
But I just think there's a lot you could do by really tying in your empirical findings to someone from OSHA kind of corroborating your evidence. Anish, thank you for that commentary. And as you mentioned, it can be incredibly helpful to also talk to people on the ground who have the direct experience in some of the areas that we're researching. And I think we're really fortunate to have John Howard with us to offer some of that direct on the ground experience and perception from his work with the California OSHA plan. Oh, thanks. And thanks to the academicians here, which I am not, for first of all, for a great paper and for Anish for his work in this area. As somebody who headed a state plan, the largest state plan in California, I'm just uh, thrilled that academicians are turning their tremendous talents to looking at the occupational safety and health issues. It's something that has occupied my entire career not studying it, but actually doing it. So it's always fascinating to hear from folks who have studied what I have basically lived for the last 20 years. There's only one issue that I would mention under Anisha's technical kind of thing, and that is the issue of local newspapers. I agree, wonderful thing to study. There's also a trade press that's associated with occupational safety and health, which has significant dissemination throughout the occupational safety and health community, especially to practitioners of safety and health. And I, I think that's an important area also to study. I just think it's terrific to be able to look at the behavioral incentives for corporate conduct in safety and health. For us that work in the regulatory enforcement arena, we basically do three things. One is we set standards that are subject to citation that violation. We also then enforce those standards. And then thirdly, we also provide consultation to companies on how to comply best with OSHA regulations, both in federal OSHA as well as the 22 state programs. In terms of the behavioral incentives that are sort of a smorgasbord, if you will, clearly the regulatory enforcement, the imposition of civil penalties, and in the case of some fatalities, even criminal penalties, stands, I think, first. We always talk about it. It's what the system is designed for. Workers' compensation really is an insurance system that comes into play. Employers usually don't pay that much attention to it because they're insured for it. There are rare situations in which lawsuits can be filed against the employer for wrongful death. Those are exclusive to workers' compensation, very rare. There's also the general employee morale and degradation of employee culture or safety culture when when citations are levied against an employer. But the one that I think the study is really centered around is reputational damage. And it's something that I think we need to quantitate a little better. And I think this program that is talking about with the issue of what intermediaries to reputational damage is having your company's name in a local newspaper. I think that is a significant, at least in my experience, something that employers do not like. It puts them in a difficult position vis-a-vis their competition if it's widely disseminated. And also, a newspaper article can lead to a state legislative hearing. It can also lead to organizing uh, stakeholder against that particular company. So it has some follow-on effects that can be significant. And in my experience, it can be just an article reporting an OSHA inspection with violations. It can be an op-ed piece that someone does, or it can be even more powerful, an actual editorial 
by a newspaper. And in my experience in California, I've been the subject of editorials by the San Francisco Chronicle, a three-day series by the LA Times. These are significant events in the life of a regulatory agency, as well as the significant ventilation that they do to the agency's enforcement actions. So they have an effect both on the agency as well as on the employers who are named. And I think then on the converse side, what I suffered from in California was when nobody was interested, no newspaper was interested in what we were doing. And that really was a very difficult thing for us in the agency because we want to make sure that the deterrence effect of that one inspection could reverberate in a community of a particular industry where we find violations that others in that industry may want to look inside their own companies and see problems and correct them before someone like an inspectorate visits them. So I think there's a lot here. It's really an exciting area to research, and I hope that both of you continue in this area so that we can improve the occupational safety and health standard setting, standards enforcement, and consultative service. Thank you. Thank you to everybody, Sinya, Anish, John, for your contributions up to this point. And now I want to turn the floor over to you all. Sinya, I might give you the first stab at any thoughts or questions or responses you have for your co-panelists. And, and then after that, I welcome John and Anish to offer their own thoughts for either you or for each other or to have a perhaps a conversation. Thank you for all of the comments. I really appreciate it. And I totally agree that the reputation channel is a possible alternative explanation of my story. And I really appreciate all of the thoughts that you have given me here. I just want to point out one small thing here that I think is relevant for my study is that I am looking at small local newspapers. And this is important because they generally do not criticize or run an editorial like that on OSHA or on a specific regulator or a specific inspector because they simply don't have the resources to do so. I think that in my specific setting, this might be less of a concern and is why I'm not necessarily finding that this actually has an impact on my result. But I totally agree with you that in other settings or when we're starting to look at bigger newspapers that can actually impact reputation of a regulator, this becomes a much more important channel to also look at. And I think it would be super interesting to understand how information dissemination and the deterrence and the reputational channels work in other settings, and for other regulators. So I really appreciate you pointing that out and giving me comments about that. It's really helpful. So the one slight pushback I'd want to give is I buy that the local newspapers don't necessarily directly criticize OSHA through editorials. Right? That seems consistent with what I've seen as well. But you could imagine the following scenario, right, where the local newspaper writes about something having gone wrong in, in a factory or facility. And then the newspaper itself doesn't do any criticism, but it just says, look at this company doing this bad thing. But internally within OSHA, for example, some inspector gets asked, hey, why didn't you go over there? Why didn't you catch that? Or where were the signs? So I, I can imagine the reputational damage, not necessarily 
the newspaper doesn't necessarily have to do the criticizing itself. It just has to bring the facts to light that enable criticism, whether it's from, could be local politicians saying, where's OSHA? Could be people within OSHA asking each other what happened. So I, I think you sort of, I agree with you that local newspapers are very different from national newspapers, but I think you want to be careful with that argument because it, it doesn't have to be the newspaper that's the one doing the criticizing. Yeah, I totally agree. But here, again, when you're looking at a local newspaper, if a local OSHA agency or area office was not able to enforce properly, it reflects back on their ability to do so, or maybe they are slacking off. But if there is local newspaper coverage around that, it is unlikely that area office or even regional offices that are much further away from the local newspaper are reading this local newspaper. So unless it makes some kind of bigger regional news, I don't think that there is a huge amount of reputational concern for the local regular. I agree there are some, absolutely. I just don't know if it's enough to show up empirically in this setting. I think it, we're talking about the sensitivity of an article uh, written, as Asinia talks about, a small local newspaper. The sensitivity to the particular company in a small local area, which a newspaper could actually have vis-a-vis the lack of sensitivity that usually happens, whether it's a small newspaper and certainly increases as you get to larger cities where usually the agency is at fault even though there may have been a fatality because the agency hadn't inspected the facility at all, ever, or for many years, etc. So there's always this interplay between what's written by a newspaper in terms of on whose side they're on, in terms of the story. Newspaper articles in larger newspapers tend to blame agency inaction or penalty amounts in terms of the violations the agency cites, where in smaller communities, it's usually what they ask in a small newspaper is the history, the safety history of the plant. And oftentimes, as Senja has pointed out, there just isn't enough compliance activity and inspectors to be able to get around to every workplace that may have an accident or a fatality. So often the agency is the one that is uh, blamed in some of these articles in smaller newspapers or larger newspapers. All right, the floor is open. Would anybody like to offer any thoughts or pose any questions? I actually have a question. I just wanted to get uh, your thoughts, John, on how you think about the importance of deterrence for enforcement, given that research has shown that it's really important for the effectiveness of enforcement. You already mentioned that there is a trade press, and I was just wondering if there's anything that you actively engage in to increase the deterrence that stems from regulator activity, whether you're thinking about the newspaper landscape changing and how that impacts your enforcement abilities? That's a really uh, interesting question. And, and I would preface my answer by saying, in my experience, there are basically five types of employers. There are industry leaders, and those are the people that actually help OSHA agencies' standards because they've usually done the basic work on a particular issue. And then there are spontaneous compliers that look for beyond advisory committees for a state federal advisory committees that write standards. 
There are hesitant compliers that wait until OSHA actually gets out in the field, starts enforcing a a new standard and cites with civil penalties. And then there are, frankly, hostile employers. And OSHA agencies, whether you're in an area office or regional office or state plant, they know who those people are because they've been to their sites often. They usually have lots of complaints. They have lots of history. And then lastly, there are people who think OSHA is a town in Wisconsin. They have no idea what OSHA is. And I think with that preface, from the agency perspective, when we think about deterrence, we think about the hostile compliers and those that have no idea uh, about who we are or the fact that they have to comply with OSHA. These are new startups in small towns. And as there a lot of these uh, licensing and permitting things are unknown to them. But certainly that's where the agency would, an area office will try to aim their deterrence efforts to target those hostile compliers that have a history and hoping that we can bring them around to understanding that they do have legal obligations for a safe and healthy workplace. So I think, again, the major deterrence factor, and people have written about it, and I'm sure all of you have read uh, articles about how OSHA penalties are picayune and they don't really get employers' attention and environmental penalties are much more significant. That's a fact of life in our world. So again, it's really the issue about other types of deterrence mechanisms. And I do think that the newspaper having a bad story about your company, especially in a small town, especially in a small newspaper catchment area where people know you and you depend on that goodwill with your customer client base, I think it does have a significant effort. And I think that's where an agency would try to aim And often I have tried to talk newspapers in smaller cities in California for writing more about what we do in their area. And sometimes they're interested and sometimes they're just not interested. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) I'd like to thank all of the panelists for just this great discussion from both the academic and the on the ground perspectives. I think it's really been informative for me and I hope it's been informative for the listeners. I would maybe open the floor now for just some closing thoughts or open questions that the panelists might have. What would you like listeners to take away from this symposium? Sinya, I'll give you the, the floor. Thank you. I think overall that my study is just helping in understanding how important information dissemination and deterrence effects are for enforcement. And we have heard about how the regulators are resource constrained and that newspapers, local newspaper coverage actually matters for their enforcement actions. So I think that kind of corroborates a little bit with my story that I'm trying to show here in this paper. Given that the newspaper landscape is changing so much, I think it's really important to understand what the possible repercussions could be for enforcement effort. I had already alluded to this earlier, but an open question is how what I have found applies to other settings or other regulators. Because I think that information dissemination can be a big part of deterrence for most regulators, it's really going to be interesting to see in what ways this kind of story is applicable and holds in other settings and for other regulators. So that would be really interesting for me to see. All right. Thank you. Anish? 
I don't really have too much to add uh, beyond that. I just wanted to chime in on that last point where I think, yeah, I think one of the biggest things you could do, and it is not so much something to do in this paper empirically, but just in terms of what can we take away. It'd be helpful to think about in as much as you find an effect, what are the institutional factors that lead to your effect being in place? So for example, I don't think you'd find something similar with the SEC just because, and I think you, you might have pointed this out at one point, SEC actions are rare and really high profile. So they're naturally, no matter what happens, there's going to be a huge amount of news coverage. Maybe more importantly, SEC actions tend to go after the firm as a whole, not individual branches or individual facilities. Geography doesn't matter so much. So I wonder, so given this confluence of factors that you need for you to find an effect, you need regulators that are tasked with investigating local branches of companies, not the whole company's like head office. You need something that, you know, one of the things that always irks me about the workplace safety setting is how little press it gets in, in the public just in general, given how serious these issues are, you don't see it as much in the big newspapers as you'd like to. So you need a setting where you almost have something that's being undercovered. So I'd just be helpful to think about without running these tests yourself, because that's not your paper. What are the agencies that you think would be most likely to have similar things going on inside? Do you think you'd see this in other branches of the Department of Labor? Do you think that, for example, the EPA might wind up with, as you say, not just information deserts, but regulatory deserts. What are the other types of misconduct out there that you think are most susceptible to this idea of regulatory deserts that are local information driven? And I think this is something where, again, you don't have to run anything empirically, but just in terms of what do we take away? How is the external validity of the paper? Ways you can go and just inform the reader, you know, beyond OSHA, why should somebody care? Uh, and this is maybe more an academic's take on it. If you ask John, for example, I'm sure John will say, well, this is about workplace safety. What else do we need? And, and to some extent, I'm sympathetic with that. But just in terms of pitching this to a broader academic audience, right, I think there's you have more going on here than just something speaking to workplace safety. And I think you should just make sure to play that up. All right. Thank you. And John, final words? Sure. First of all, I, I want to thank Cynthia and, and Anish both for, for delving into the area of occupational safety and health. We, we need all the help that we can get. And I would encourage both researchers and, and others to, to look at not just the print media and how OSHA can get its message across by using various social media platforms. Because I think that there is a, at least I imagine that there's a greater audience for understanding the role of occupational safety and health within a company. So I hope that someday we can see a paper from Sidja on that issue. All right. I'd like to thank all of our panelists. I'd like to thank our listeners for listening to this second episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast Symposium on Local Journalism, Business, and Society. This episode is focused on Sinya's recently posted study, Our Newspaper Deserts and Oasis for Leniency, the Effective Information Dissemination on Regulator Activity. Our panel has been Sinya Leonelli, a fourth-year accounting PhD student at the University of Chicago, as well as Anish Rajanandan, an assistant professor of accounting at the London School of Economics, and John Howard, the director of the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, and the former chief of the Division of Occupational Safety and Health at the California Department of Industrial Relations. Sinya, John, Anish, thank you so much for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast and the Symposium on Local Journalism, Business, and Society. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. Andrew Jennings.